Hi, and welcome to another episode of Product Confidential. Thanks for listening. I'm joined as ever by Evie Brockwell. Hello. And today's guest is Andy Walsh. Um, Andy is a senior product manager at the BBC, and prior to that was a lead product manager at DFE. Uh, so I've known Andy for quite a while and we're delighted to have you on the show. Hi, Andy. Hi, Michael. Hi, Evie. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. We're really, really excited. So today's episode looks to be a really good one in which we're going to delve into Andy's previous experience working as both a lead product manager, a program manager, and also now uh, getting back into general product management. So uh, yeah, lots there that I'm looking forward to digging into. But uh, as ever, as we kick off the episode, uh, can we start by finding out a bit more of your route into product management? Yeah, sure. It's it's one of the more interesting questions, isn't it? When you get a room full of product managers, uh, how accidental everybody is. Um, so my journey into product management comes, I, I guess, going way back from being a support agent. Um, so I started off after uni, not knowing what I wanted to do, started doing kind of first line support um, for work for Carlsberg, first of all, helping beer deliveries for pubs, and then moved more into a tech space um, at Cadbury, first of all, and then in government. Um, when I moved into government, it was helping training providers get their data returns right and get money from the government for the training that they provided. As you can imagine, probably there's lots of complexity, lots of um, complicated rules and things like that, that um, the Department for Education writes around um, that sort of funding. So there's a lot of domain knowledge that you gain and a lot of empathy for frustrating user processes and complicated finance reports that they can't understand. And you also get the domain knowledge of who the best people to speak to around the business are to answer these specific questions and all of that kind of stuff. And so that gave me, I guess, a decent first frontline grounding. And I moved it then into um, kind of owning bits of that domain myself. So reference data, how it was used to make sure that students in deprived areas were funded more money by the government or that kind of stuff. So geeked around with reference data for a couple of years. And then um, back in, I think, sort of 2015, 2016, um, the government announced the apprenticeship levy, which was going to be a huge um, tax, basically, on large businesses that they would need to claim back to train their own staff. And there was a huge end-to-end -end system, end-to-end -end service set of products that needed to be built um, for us to work with HMRC, um, make sure that the right money was going to training providers, make sure that we had online portals for employers and training providers to use. Um, and so our deputy director at the time pulled me to one side and said, Andy, do you want to be a product owner? Uh, I was like, what's a product owner? <laughs> um, and yeah, work with people that are you know, very much more versed in um, working on software and agile processes. And just, I completely got flung into this whole new world of like going in as a bit of a domain expert of, you know, what data do training providers return and what what does the money look like at the moment? How do the finance reports sit at the moment? And yeah, making helping to make it work for um for a new system for them. So my first product kind of baptism by fire basically was the payment engine that paid for every apprentice's training in England 
and uh yeah scale quite quickly it was really scary but it was brilliant and it was like fun thing to work on with a bunch of developers well you certainly got thrown in at the deep end there didn't you no messing about andy no it was and actually big credit to there's a there's a, a civil servant delivery manager i was working with at that point in time and we had because it was such a high profile project we had lots of really great people working on it um really great consultants in there as well and um there was there was an excellent product manager that was um tasked with leading that team and the delivery manager basically pulled me to one side and said i can't have two opinions on the team either you lead this and get this guy to coach you which is where we went in the end or basically shut up and let him drive it <laughs> and so yeah i i had the best teacher from the start for um for shipping that product and um yeah it was just really fun to work on Wow, that's uh, some strong delivery management there. I'm loving that. Yeah. And on that, Andy, like I know that we'll cover off a bunch of other things, but there's a question that obviously a lot of people always talk about in terms of PO versus PM and how two people yeah. operate in that space. So seeing as you've already mentioned the fact that that can be painful and it's potentially a bunch of different opinions, um, what did you actually learn about managing that kind of relationship? Um, in terms of, well, so that, that first product that I was working on was very, oh, it was incredibly stakeholdery. There were a lot of senior leaders, like I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever since worked on a team where you had so many senior leaders coming to your show and tells, um, everybody was really, really worried about the financial system being ready on time. Um, and so a good way that we gained consensus was to um, to do a particular type of um, stakeholder workshopping um, called specification by example, uh, where you basically, rather than describing the business rules that you're building against in paragraphs, um, you're whiteboarding kind of numbered examples of given this, given this maths goes in, this is the number that comes out and it's really specific. And um, again, it was the, the the product manager and the lead dev on that team that kind of coached me in this sort of way of working, this, this tool. Um, and yeah, that, that sort of workshopping and bringing in the stakeholders to be part of like doing the maths on the whiteboard. Um, that was, that was the way of us getting consensus basically in that scenario. I'm, I'm really interested um, when you said that your first line, line of work was in user support um, personally, like I did a lot of work in retail when I came out of uni and, and working in bars and hospitality, yeah, um, all kinds of stuff. And at the time, you don't think about the experience that you're gaining in those situations. But now I reflect on it quite a lot because a lot of it was like extreme stakeholder management or thinking on your feet or using your initiative. How yes. much of your time and user support would you say is still beneficial for you today? probably more than you get like you say more than you give credit for on a day-to-day -day basis so if you like once you become a little bit more experienced and if you're quite good with people then you become you know the 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 guy that handles all the angry complaints and things like that and so all of that stuff is like soft skill building that is really really important in product management um aside from the you know, the domain knowledge, the how to build relationships with the people within a business to, you know, lean on someone to do your favor and get a thing done. Um, yeah. And also, I think a lot of communication skill as well, explaining potentially complicated things in simple terms to people that you, you have to assume don't have all of your company jargon and all of that kind of stuff. Um, 
yeah it's I think all of those are quite important skills and I I never really it's only quite recently that I've reflected how important it's been to my product journey I always like for points in time in, in my 20s I considered them fairly well you know are they, are these is this a dead end job that I've got but it's actually been really really important in building the skills I've got now yeah I totally agree like at one point I was working as a travel rep and if you're dealing with a family that's been traveling all day and then they've had their oh. luggage lost and they're there screaming at you, like that's they call the management like 101. Yeah. And I don't think I've faced anything as furious as that. Like it might be someone you deem important, but um, yeah. those skills have definitely helped me. And it kind of makes me think nothing's as, as crazy and as scary as that was dealing with someone who's actually mad and screaming at you. Yeah, it's yeah, like their entire holiday. And you're like, sure. But it is, it's like, I think you start to learn that everyone has their own situation and their own things going on and everyone's a person so it's like right if I understand how to deal with different people I can apply that to any scenario and then sometimes like you say when you've gone oh well I've been through worse than this it's a good mindset piece <laughs> absolutely telling a family that uh, selling it telling a stakeholder that their feature is going to be late would be pretty easy after uh, dealing with the screaming family in an airport right yeah no definitely definitely um okay great well yeah, as I mentioned, we're going to lead into talking about um, program management, lead product management versus general product management. So maybe it would make sense if you start off by saying what your role is now and the role that you were in at DFE beforehand, just for a bit of context. Yeah, of course. So I've um, recently joined the BBC um, kind of at the start of July um, as a senior product manager. So that is um, leading a cross-functional um, agile team um in children's and education um before that i spent two and a half years and um, kind of after after i finished working on apprenticeships um at the department for education i was i was there for um sort of five years and then i had two and a half years working as a as a program lead lead product manager however you'd want to badge it at different points in time I worked on three different programs there um for uh, sort of teacher recruitment and retention and um yeah, so it was a, a huge um, step change and uh, a different level of context switching and um, very much a different lens on um, on the kind of product role to what I was used to um, when you're working solely with a, a cross-functional team on a day-to-day -day basis to then flip to be looking across um, anywhere from sort of three to seven or eight teams um, and, you know, figuring out common goals and problems for them to solve and how they're all contributing to the bigger picture and how um, how their work is aligning to solve a whole problem for users. And, yeah, it's very much, uh, yeah, like very different kind of ball game. Yeah, I can definitely imagine. So all my time in product has been, uh, as a product manager leading uh, or part of an agile team. Um, so I find that like I'm juggling enough plates just doing that. How did you find that step up when you're now looking at the outcomes that eight teams are leading on as opposed to just your own? I think so. I've, I I kind of reflected on it at different points in time with the the people in my leadership, the first leadership team I was with. We, we were in a very uh, stressful, high-pressured project that, had really, really aggressive delivery milestones needed doing yesterday um, and was horrendously stressful for, for, for us as a group and for the teams as well, for the product managers involved as well. Um, I 
feel like everybody or everyone in that group at that time was a bit scarred by it at the time, but it's been really, really valuable experience for us all since to take away. Um, I think that I I noticed on the, the last program that I worked on before I left DFE, which I was only on for a short amount of time because I'd, I'd actually, I was already leaving to go to the BBC. Um, but working with slightly newer leaders and kind of coaching them a little bit in the things that I'd learned over the last couple of years, it was the, the, the sort of light bulb moment of like, ah, okay, there's a load of this stuff that I, I get now. I can, I, yeah, feel, I feel a bit more comfortable in this skill set. but it was just a huge learning curve um, and kind of um, adjustment to different level of uh, context switching and pressure and stress and eyes looking at you and all of that stuff so it's uh yeah I'd recommend it but it's uh, not for the faint-hearted <laughs> and it's like I know you've already mentioned so many things and I was literally writing an article about this today about how it's kind of from the reverse point of view but how you can go from taking your strategy and breaking that down and aligning the right people to work on the right things to deliver against something and obviously the examples that you're talking about are potentially how you meet that halfway so you've already got a project and a program and you've already got teams how do you align those across the group um and everything that I write about talks about how nuanced each one of these scenarios is in terms of the way that you can set up the teams the way you do ways of working the way that you should communicate with stakeholders and there's so much complexity in there and I think it's impossible to ever get it right or get it. Yeah. It's always evolving and you're always learning from it. But are there any top tips that you would give to say, right, these are say, for example, one or two things that you should always do to make sure that this goes well? Well, so I, yeah, I completely agree on the, the, the not being a hundred percent right answer. Um, any of the time for that. Um, there's always more than one way of doing things. Um, for that first program that I worked on as a lead, we um, had a bit of a crunch point where we had to either make decisions about setting the teams up to look at vertical pillars across or, like the whole journey for both of our user big user groups, basically, and solve a problem for both user groups, or um, have the team set up by user group for the whole breadth. And you could sit there arguing all day about which way is the best way to slice it, um, what would be the you know the most efficient way of getting things done, what would minimize your dependencies between teams and things like that. But I think the worst thing that you can do is um, delay on making decisions to get the team started, no matter which way they're slicing, you need to just act fast. And that's where we were at that point in time. And so we kind of decided quite quickly to set them up vertically and then I think since then the program moved to like put them horizontally because it was better for them at that point in time and that's okay too but um yeah the the the, the most important thing is to just keep moving and keep making decisions and don't don't try and analyze it too much yeah and I think like you say it can be fluid it doesn't have to be set in stone you can always chop Absolutely. and change these things um, as long as your teams are set up so they understand the goals and they're all working towards the common thing and they're able to align their own dependencies then if you have those foundations right I think the rest of those things are the less important things yeah absolutely and I, th I think as well I don't think I've been in an area where there's not someone saying oh these teams aren't set up correctly who set <laughs> these up this way it should be like that and I'm sure if they had been set up in the way that that person was suggesting, that same person probably saying, who's done this? 
I think there's always a case of like the grass is greener and if only it was like this, it'd be perfect. And I don't think that's ever going to be the case, is it? So I completely agree with the concept of make decisions, make be really clear, clear on the outcomes you're moving towards and be flexible on how you get there. It's really difficult to get right. And I'm I'm quite naturally um, quite sensitive to how other people kind of perceive me. And um, I'm I'm a bit of a people pleaser and I like reaching consensus. I like bringing people into the conversation, seeing what they think. And it was something that I learned over time and got a little bit better at, probably didn't nail, was that you're never going to please. If you've got 100 people working on a program, you're not going to please them all with the way that the team shapes are. Some people are going to be annoyed with it. And so the worst thing, again, the worst thing you can do is like delay and go around in circles, making decisions. Sometimes just some some progress is um, better than keeping everybody happy. And what sort of things did you do to try and um, appeal less to the people pleaser inside you and make some hard decisions? Um, I think this is where working with, I, I was really lucky to work pretty much on, on all of the programs that I um, was uh, working as a lead um, and teacher space at DFV. There's so many really great, talented leaders in their teams, and I probably um, needed beating into shape a little bit in that in that respect by some of the other people around me um and so I guess from for my part I would always want to um reach out and get their opinions first and foremost use them as sounding boards and see whether you know does this is this the right way to slice things what do you think can we move quicker here um yeah so I and very often it'd be we need to just do it <laughs> so let's just yeah that this way is as good as any um but yeah, I think I it's probably uh, like a bit of a work in progress as far as me getting like really silencing that part of, of, of my own personality. But um, yeah, I kind of I quietened it down enough to to get some stuff done. I think there's so much in that, though, about just taking your situation and your thoughts to someone outside of the situation and playing it by them. And even if they just confirm what you're thinking and saying, yeah, that's right, go for it. Or they add a different opinion. Like I know in like man, your relationship, Andy, like at DFE and now now still at BBC, like I've come to you many times go, ah, I don't know what to do about this. This is burning my head out. And like, you've always offered like objective advice and have you considered this? And I always feel after I've left those calls, like with a bit more certainty about like how I'm going to approach this. And it's kind of dialed down that noise in my head um, that, that I'm, I need to get consensus because like, no, actually, I do have the confidence to have a plan here. The team might not need to see that, you know, the the flacking that I've been doing internally because I've, I've spoken about it with other people. Um, so, yeah, I think getting outside help um, about the situation is is, is great advice. Um, I'm interested then. So in the same way that we said, you know, that time in, in support roles helped you get into product. How would you say your time in product helped prepare you for the role as lead product manager, program manager? Yeah, so the I mean, there's a lot of stuff in program leadership that is, you know, you get a good grounding in as being a product manager in a team in terms of, you know, prioritizing the most important thing, um, being able to gather context. Um, in the, the the difference being, um, as a product manager in a team, you're gathering context in kind of like the small area around your team. Whereas in program leadership, you're gathering bigger context for like the whole organization and what the whole organization is trying to achieve. Um, 
the the ability to kind of communicate that I was talking about before, stakeholder skills and some of the softer skills you gain in products all become, you know, really important in senior leadership roles as well. Um, and yeah, the 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 level of context switch that we're all used to in product roles, it kind of gets magnified by about a thousand when you get, when you kind of go to working with multiple teams. Um, so yeah, that they're, they're they're some of the 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 bigger things. Um, probably for for a lead PM role and a and a, a program manager role as well. And how would you say that you managed to take a step out of what you were doing on the, because I think this is where a lot of people struggle when they move up even to an SPM role, is going yeah. from the detail and being in control of that product and the delivery themselves to taking that step back and being able to see the bigger picture and work out how to operate at that level. Is there any advice that you'd give to anyone that's doing that transition between the two? Um, trust the people around you. I think that... Um, a lot of product managers that I've known that that really kind of struggle with the being really, really, really deep in the detail and not being able to carve the space to um, have bigger picture thinking or do more things or um, are reeling in things that probably other people in their team can quite capably drive for them. So whether it's your, you know, your delivery manager or your business analyst or, you know, researcher or designer, like different, different product managers are angled in different ways and gravitate towards certain, certain things in the team. Um, but yeah, it was a, again a bit of a, a bit of an ongoing journey for me over the sort of two two or three years that I was a program lead. As far as you know, what can you let go of? What can you delegate? What can other people drive for you? Um, where's my time most valuably spent here? Um, and I yeah, I look back and a lot of the time I really didn't get it right. But um, it's good learning process either way. Yeah, life's a journey. I'm like um, as long as we're always learning and reflecting, that's yeah, all we can do. <laughs> There's so much in there. One thing I'd like to dig into is so in your time uh, as program leader, how would you go about empowering teams? What does it mean to empower a team and how easy is this to do in practice? Uh, I think that this this could be like a life's work, basically. It's just so hard to get even close to being right. Um, I mean, on a basic level, I kind of, I, I think I went into a program lead role with a fairly idealistic uh like sense of you know what it what it is to be a a a, um, a lead product manager why they're important um where you know um some of the situations that i'd worked in before was was lacking that view what type of leader i was going to be and then in the re the reality when you're actually doing it it's so much harder than all of that and it gives you a lot of empathy for the your bosses before where you thought that stuff was missing um now to empower teams, obviously, you know, people talk about feature factories and somebody like dreaming exact solutions that then just get farmed to a team to build. Obviously, that, you know, that's a really extreme view of things and you want to avoid it. You want to give a small number of measurable, clear goals to teams to run with, basically. Um, but yeah empowering teams in the right way and it's it's just so difficult and it's really really difficult to kind of nudge the right behaviors and sometimes you'll give too much freedom and teams are saying oh i don't know what the vision is here and i don't know why you like what we're supposed to be pointing towards and sometimes you'll be too um directive on it and then oh no this is the, you know you're you're disempowering us it's just and yeah 
it's um it's a really really difficult one to get right and i think that the 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 closest that i've got to success with it is when you're um you're talking to a really wide range of people in terms of you you senior leaders around you you've got a close relationship with your product managers and some other key people in the teams as well you know some some of you lead developers and designers you your key domain knowledge people um and you get a, a, a temperature check from them as to whether things are, are too far off or not. That's one of the things that I've found with all of the teams that I've worked with is as long as you're opening up that two-way communication so people can tell you if they feel like they're lost because they don't have the direction or if they feel like it's too restrictive and actually they've learned this thing and this thing that means that you might want to take a different direction. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you get it perfect straight away as long as you've built in that culture where you can have those conversations. Absolutely. I think having an open conversation and and um, people feeling like they can challenge you as a leader is um, that's a win in itself. If you've opened up those sorts of communication channels, that's good. I, I, I wonder, you mentioned that in that space, you had some like, really tricky stakeholders and a lot of interest in your area. Was it tempting to really grab the reins and take control if you have a, a minister breathing down your neck? Do you then want to kind of go, right, this is what needs to happen and, and this is what it is? Was was that urge uh, apparent in yourself? And, and if so, how did you combat it? I think so. A lot of the um, the ministerial conversations that my leadership said, there were, there were people that were kind of around me that handled a lot of the ministerial conversations specifically more than I ever did. But they did a great job of giving a good amount of transparency and context to the teams as to this is the conversation that we've got to have. This is the urgency around, you know, recruiting teachers and things like that. Um, and yeah. And so just like giving the teams that information to work with rather than um, this is our target. This is what I think we need to build. Don't ask any questions. Just do it. Like there was there was not that culture. Um, so I think I think transparency and giving the teams the right level of context is really, really important. Um, and there's always a there, there was an interesting conversation that I was having with the teams on the last program that I worked on um, around the right. Like, what does the right level of context look like in terms of, you know, people don't want to be in meetings all day, every day. You can't have everybody in every meeting to get all, all the context. It's like being deliberate about who you invite to what and uh, like who you can cascade things to in a different way and how like smart use of people's time I think giving people the option um in the first instance but without dragging everybody to everything is 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 a good way forward yeah i think there's so much in that and especially when you consider the fact that as you've mentioned you're being open and transparent and letting people know this is what we're hearing from the minister and this is why there's pressure around this. That then means that it's not just coming, the pressure just isn't coming from you. They have all the information that you have and they can see the pressures that you're under and can understand why you might be asking for a certain thing or why the business needs them to think a bit quicker about a certain solution yeah. um, as opposed to just being like, what's wrong with Andy today? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he looks kind of stressed. <laughs> yeah, 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 that makes sense. Um, so, so as I mentioned as well, so uh, you've now left DFE and recently joined BBC and are now a senior product manager. So, um, yeah, talk us through that move. What, what, what was you thinking moving into into a different space? Um, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I kind of 
um, I increasingly over the couple of years that I was a program lead just missed the dynamic of working in a product team um, and the sorts of problem solving that you do on a day-to-day basis, the sorts of conversations that you have and working relationships that you build up. Um, and I kind of reflected on the fact that I, I worked on a, a lot of different things on apprenticeships, but it was one ecosystem, little ecosystem in one organization. And I hadn't actually got that much product experience of delivering and shipping things. Um, and so I felt like there was a lot more mileage in my career for that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it felt like it made sense to um, switch outside of government, move to a different organization. Um, but working for the BBC is, you know, it's public service. It's 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 instead of value for taxpayer, it's value value for license fee payers. Um, I'm working in children's and education. So it's really, really sort of similar vein to the work I was doing at the Department for Education. So it felt like a good step in terms of being, you know, a um, a really uh, strong, credible organization to move to with similar sorts of goals to what I was used to working on, uh, you know, um, value driven and uh, for, you know, value for the world and, you know, good for young people and all of that good stuff. And uh, yeah, so it just it just aligned with where I where I thought I I needed to go next in my career. Yeah, I totally get that. From people who I know have been in program leadership, it always sounds like you're dealing with a lot of program admin quite a lot of the time. <laughs> and speak and the, the thought of like actually getting into the detail again, I can imagine I'd enjoy that. I'm a person that likes uh, solving problems and 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 having a direct. Uh, influence on on the things that we're working on so that makes total sense to me and I'm interested um what do you think has made you a better or will make you a better product person from your time in program leadership oh there's so well there's so much stuff uh, as a program lead that when I took a role as a, a lead product manager I never dreamed that I would know so much about and and get so deeply involved in um, I come back to the, I think I was being a bit idealistic when I took the job, but like all of the finance meetings and budget management and SLT meetings and um, all of the uh, team changes and how to, you know, organize people in the right teams and managing supplier relationships and procurement exercises for contract for supplier contracts and all of these things Um some of them at the time are varying, like there's a bit of a sliding scale of how, um, uh, like how aggrieved I felt at different points in time and spending a load of time not doing products and doing that stuff instead. Um, but it's all super valuable um, experience and context for me to have going back into being a product manager in a team. I feel like I understand what my line manager is being asked to do um, and uh, justify and the um, the sorts of things that get product teams to happen in an organization. So how budget is secured, the sorts of conversations that happen around, you know, those trade-offs and how, um, how senior leaders need to de-risk uh, contractors being a point of failure in teams and like all of these things that, I, you know, I never really considered for any amount of time. Um, as I, when I was the product manager first time around, I've got a lot deeper understanding of these days. And so hopefully I can kind of give my stakeholder updates quite proactively with the stuff that they want to hear without really being prompted. Um, so, 
yeah, I think it's made it's made me a much well, much better rounded product manager as a as a result. I think it's um interesting when you step back into that team space as well because you have all of that knowledge and all of those learnings, and then yeah. you're in the team and you're seeing how it's all working on a day to day basis and the different teams you're interacting with and where you have dependencies and you know even before when you were talking about well should we structure people vertically or horizontally, then when you're in the detail again you still can observe and have all of those thoughts and opinions on those things. But then it's a case of how do I influence the right people and get the right people on board to make these changes because I'm not necessarily directly in control of it now. So um, I think it just becomes a new challenge for you. <laughs> Massively, yeah. And to be honest, if if like as a program lead, if one of if one of the product managers in my team came to me and was like, Andy, I think that actually I've had some ideas. I think you could slice it this way. So I'd love that. Like, so I, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that any sort of line manager program leads that I'm working with going forward would would appreciate that input as well. Yeah, fab. That's been a really good conversation and loads of good stuff in there. I think. Uh, so I think now feels like a good time to move into our quick fire round. Um, so, yeah, first thing, Andy, what's the best thing about being a product manager? Um, the variety. So the variety of problems that you solve for your users, for the business, um, and the variety of people and brains that you have in a product team. So that you know the the way that um, designers can be different to analysts can be different to um, to to developers um yeah the, yeah the variety and different life cycle phases as well yeah yeah There's so so many people we've spoken to have said that and i think the fact that the job can look different from one day to the next and from one week to the next completely different again that yeah. definitely appeals to me as, as a person and a personality type so i totally get that flipping that on its head though what's the worst thing about being a product manager um i think i find it quite difficult at times with or particularly with more complex things the context switching um that's something that my brain struggles with um a lot and the protecting and prioritizing your own time because everybody wants to pick your brain on something or ask for something or yeah there's a lot of demands on your time and so you have to be really really sharp on your time management and um protecting that context switch there's some tools that you can learn over time to do it but you, yeah so it's a constant constant struggle that everyone has i'm sure yeah definitely and uh, do you have a quick win like any tips that you'd like to share for any product people out there listening um i think that so so most recently is kind of stepping out of the organization where I learned product and into a, a, a different one. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Everybody always says it, but it's it's true. That's why everybody says it. Um, it's actually a bit of a superpower to be the newbie and go in there and ask why things are being done that way. What does that thing mean? Why is that? Um, and as you're doing it, play together, like play back to everybody, the view of the world that you're pulling together, the picture that you're pulling together, um, which hopefully builds a bit of confidence that you're listening and you understand, but also is another way of people challenging um, like themselves on why things are the way that they are. And um, yeah, it can drive quite a lot of uh, good conversations and change. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. When I started at 
about maybe four weeks into the role, I played back what I'd seen um, within the team and within the organisation and what my early thoughts are and where I could add some value and the direction that we should be going in as a team. And that was really handy because uh, I got a lot of feedback from the team that, yeah, some of this is right. But then I also got some information like, oh, no, this thing that you're thinking here, um, this because of X, Y and Z and this can't be changed. And it's like, oh, right, OK, I get that now. But if I hadn't have had that playback, I wouldn't have got that information. Yeah. And also it's given me a really nice opportunity, like a couple of weeks, well, a couple of months have gone since that point. And now I can say like, oh, these things that we said we might do, we've done these things now. And now we can look forward to what we're doing next. And I think just having those little playback points uh, is really good for you as a product person and also for the team to see what's in your head and, and, and what you're thinking and let them play back into it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. And then the final question that we like to ask everyone, uh, everyone in product seems to always be learning something. It can be hard to keep up with 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 the top recommendations but what is your recommendation on any product related books talks or courses that you might have done recently i'm probably not the best person for this because i i don't have the biggest library of product books and uh, you know all of that stuff and i listen to you know the the standard lenny's podcast and things like that that everybody else would recommend but one thing that i've done quite recently is delete instagram because i was spending too much time doing idle scrolling and started i've subscribed to medium again and just getting the recommendation because i i like things in really digestible chunks i like to read something for sort of three or four minutes and so spending a little block of time every day just scrolling through um product blogs and having really um yeah really small chunked things to to just spark some thoughts first thing in the morning i'm finding really helpful um and i'm not even going to recommend any particular writers because some of the stuff that you that comes up on my feed is utter dross but it's also good to read that stuff as well that you don't agree with and and challenge yourself as to why you don't agree with it and what what you think instead and how you would write differently and things like that so yeah that's tip number one and oh and one one other tip if you're working particularly if you're working on in government on gov uk services there's a designer that i worked with on my last project who's got like a uh a, a email that you can subscribe to um guys called adam silver and he specializes a designer that specializes in um gathering data in forms basically um really effectively really easily and um yeah i just really enjoyed talking to him firstly about the process of writing because he's really good at it um but yeah his his uh news emails are really um again nicely chunked digestible good tips and yeah good stuff to learn from no, I love that. And I especially love the fact that you started off by saying like you don't have a massive library and you don't spend all your time reading these books because I think we have this tendency to think like people quote authors and I'm like, I don't know who that is because I'm a famous <laughs> product person. And then I'm super embarrassed to admit that I don't know who it is because we're not all <laughs> going to be sat there reading a million books of different ways to gain knowledge from the craft. Absolutely. Definitely. And I am certainly enjoying just reading fiction at the minute. Um, so yeah <laughs> totally with you on that um, Andy it's been a really good chat I think there's loads in that that I've definitely learned from and I'm sure lots of our listeners will have done as well so thanks so much for coming on and uh, yeah huge thanks for me and Evie uh, and for anyone listening please do reach out if you've got any questions uh, or leave any feedback we'd be really glad to hear it love that thanks for having me on
Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe so you get to hear about our latest episodes as soon as they land, or dive into our archives and check out some of our earlier episodes. If you're a fan of the show, we'd love to hear from you. So please feel free to recommend the show on social media or leave some feedback wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening.